How is everyone? Good. Let me add to those uh, greetings you've received already this morning. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. I want to take a moment to acknowledge a few things as we begin today. One is that uh, for many of us, our fathers are great gifts and blessings and figures in our lives that we're so thankful for. I know for many others, that's not the case. Can we acknowledge that too this morning, that sometimes uh, in the experience of life, the absence of fathers or fathers uh, who have not poured in, into our lives and blessed us, that exists too. And so we remember you, and we pray knowing that God our Father is a loving and kind and patient and good, good Father. How many of you know that song, contemporary worship song, He's a Good, Good Father? Have you heard that one? He's a good, good Father. We want to remember that. We want to affirm the gift of fathers and also sometimes the absence of good fathers really serves to point us to a good good Father who loves us all and holds us all. Amen? Uh, I also want to acknowledge today that today is June the 19th, June 10th. And even as we have sung that we're going to love God with all our heart and mind and strength, we remember that Jesus also said that we're going to love our neighbor as ourself and that we're going to live into that. I appreciate so much. Raymond, thank you for, I think you and others organized a time of worship last Sunday together in our community with people uh, who are different than many of us, uh, diverse, and we want to acknowledge that the kingdom of God, the love of God is for all, and that God is reconciling and redeeming and restoring all relationships. And so I want to say to you today as well, happy Juneteenth as we celebrate God's work of redemption and renewal and reconciliation and acknowledge that in the past, God's dream of a unified creation has been fractured. And we believe as those who follow in the dream of God and in the way of Jesus that we are to be participants in God's work of renewal. So, happy Father's Day, happy Juneteenth. And the other thing I want to say, because it may not get said today, it may not, well, we may not uh, get a reminder, and so I'm going to take this opportunity. I want to invite you to come and join us uh, Wednesday night. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, so you may have forgotten, a couple of weeks ago, uh, our elders announced that um, they're going to convene a time. I, I really want to characterize this, what I hear them saying as I listen to them, make that announcement, and and uh, deliberate around a, a gathering time like this on Wednesday night. It's really a time for prayer and for them to share their hearts as we've taken this journey to think about what it means to be the body of Christ and share in life together, male and female. So that's taking place this Wednesday night. Ricky, you've got a puzzled look on your face. Do I have that right? It's not happening this Wednesday night. It is happening this Wednesday. It's in your bulletin. If you flip it over on the back, I think it says at the top, class this Wednesday night with the KCC elders. Does it not say that? Okay. So, Ricky, class this Wednesday night with the KCC elders at 630. Got that? Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Just a reminder. Deuteronomy 6, the words that were read so well for us just moments ago, and that you'll see um, on the banners, I don't know if you noticed these up here, but you'll see those words there from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God. Would you join me in prayer as we open our hearts to receive God's word now? God, we come to you and pray, acknowledging your presence in our midst, Where two or more are gathered in your name, you have promised us that you are present and you are with us. And as our Lord Jesus breathed over his disciples, promised the Spirit to remain, to abide with us, we acknowledge that you are with us. And so we pray that by your word and by your Spirit, you would speak. Not only that you would speak, but that we would hear. Shema. Hear, O people of God. So open us to hear your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in that space where you are among us be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, this is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hear, O Israel, hear. The word says, Because the Lord our God is moving. The Lord our God is leading. And Israel is on the move. Listen to this phrase. This is the phrase that begins the passage where we find these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Listen to these words. Observe these things in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Observe these things in the land that you are crossing. You hear the movement there? God has been leading Israel, his people. He's called them up out of Egypt. He's he's, uh, sent them forward on the words of his promise. He's led them forward through the wilderness, and he's leading them somewhere. He has something in mind for them that through who they are and who he's made them to be and how they live in relationship to each other and in relationship to him, that they will bless the world that God is leading. In other words, when you hear the Shema, hear, O Israel, those words, that prayer is a prayer for the journey. It's a calling for the people of God on the move, a prayer for people on mission with God. This is a missional prayer. It's instruction for the journey as the horizon of God's future unfolds. Shema, hear, listen up, people. Remember two weeks ago when we introduced this series uh, that we'll share together for the next few weeks, I reminded you of that moment that some of you, I know many of you who have children and have raised children, have had when your child begins to speak and wants to communicate with you and they're just old enough to know that when they want to try and tell you something, they reach up and they grab your face and turn your attention toward them, right? Have you had this experience just this last week? My granddaughter, hand right on my face, turn my face. Listen, the Shema is like that. Hear, listen up, O people of God. Shema, So what I want to ask you is this, do we have a sense, we, 
I'm talking about the people in this room, the people who belong to the fellowship of God's spirit in this place in Kerrville, at the Kerrville, as part of the Kerrville Church of Christ, this particular fellowship of people. Do we have a sense that we are the people of God on mission with God, that God is up to something, that we are not just marking time, but that God is present and leading and moving somewhere. If not, then our prayer becomes, God help us to know where you're present and leading and where you're moving us towards something so that we might be participants with you in your mission in the world, in your desire for the world. Do we have a sense that we are moving? Because if we do, God leans down to say, look, we're going somewhere, so hear this. Hear this. Shema means we are listening for God. Shema means we are hearing from God. And Shema means we are moving with God. I'm trying to get, create a sense that God's up to something among us and drawing us forward into that something that God is up to in the world. We are listening for God. We are hearing from God. We are moving with God. So, when God says, Shema, here, listen up, O people, here is what follows. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. I want to suggest to you two ways to hear that. One is, Hear, O Israel, hear, O people of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is the one over against all other gods and allegiances that vie for your attention, that play at your affections. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. The Lord our God, who created all things and who sustains all things and who is drawing all creation forward, this is the one. That's one way to read it. I think that's important. Because part of the reaching down and putting the hand on the side of the face and turning our attention back, our gaze toward the heavens, perhaps in our worship, is remembering that the Lord our God is the one, the one. Right? It's another way to hear this, I want to suggest to you. And that is that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The essence of who God is, is oneness. Um, guess what? I've been interim preaching here with you for over a year now, and you've heard me say this more than once. That the very nature, the very essence of God in the beginning is God's oneness, God's shalom, God's wholeness, completeness, fullness that holds all things together over against the chaos or disconnectedness of all things. God's oneness is God's nature. We speak of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three things, but... Say it, church. One. One God. Even in the Hebrew notions of the story of God, 
The language around God is sometimes singular, the oneness of God, and sometimes plural. What I mean to say here is when we say and remember, listen up, Shema, here, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We are remembering that God is the one, but we are also remembering that God's very essence is oneness, completeness, and that we are created, you and I, you, I, two different things, for oneness. We need each other. The whole human project in relationship is designed to be drawn up, drawn up into God's desire for oneness. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Got that? Shema also, hear also this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6. What I want to suggest to you here is that rather than these being three different things, heart, soul, strength, that these actually are intended to build upon each other. Heart and soul and strength. I want to suggest to you that the word for that last uh, designation, strength, in Hebrew is ma'ad. I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me a Hebrew word like ma'ad, but that's what it is. Do you know what it means? The best sort of literal translation of that in English? Literally, it means love God with your everything. Love God with your everything. I like that sense. Up here on the, on the banner, it says, love the Lord your God with your whole being, with your everything, with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. If you, if you do, some of you will recall that Deuteronomy 6 is repeated in the gospel accounts. In, in Matthew, and in Mark, and in Luke, and all three of them, it's repeated. And sometimes you get heart, soul, and strength, but sometimes you also get what? What's missing? Mind. What they're doing is they're unpacking ma'ad. Everything that makes you who you are. Love God with your everything, and everything um, that you can bring or produce, ma'ad, your everything. This will be what Jesus says in the Gospels when he is speaking to the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? When someone asks Jesus a question like, what's the greatest commandment? Pay attention. Shema. <laughs> Hear. The greatest commandment is this. And Jesus quotes this. Love God with your everything. Love God with your everything. This is the deepest desire of the, the heart. The deepest desire of the human heart is this. Psalm 42, you'll recognize Psalm 42, says, As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs for you. You recognize that? You, you do because 
We've sung it over and over again. That's how we remember these things. If I say Psalm 131, what does that say? You're going to go, I'm not so sure. But if I say as the deer, you can quote the rest of it because we've sung it over and over again. As the deer pants for streams of living water. Okay, at our place in Bernie, out on the land where we live, the deer are running all over the place. There's no water. (laughs) I feel for them. We're trying to remedy that. But there's no water. And it doesn't just say for, what I want is, is, is for the deer to long for just a little pool of water. You know, it's been there for a while. It's evaporating. It's this murky pool of water. No, it's what kind of water? It's living water, right? What is living water? What does that mean? It means it's running water. It's a, it's a, 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 a movement. It implies movement, Right? The water is fresh and clean, that this is our heart's desire. Like the deer longs for streams of living water, this is, this is what my heart desires. Because the next phrase is this, my soul thirsts for God. And then the words repeated, not just for God, but for the living God. The living God. The God on the move, restoring and sustaining all things. The God on mission. This is the heart's deepest desire for God. We turn our affection, our attention toward the living God. This is a book that was published about six years ago. Um, Don, you're familiar with it. This is by James K.A. Smith. The book is called, You Are What You Love. How many of you remember when they taught you in school, you are what you eat? Remember? When they were teaching us, when I was in school, they called it health class. I don't know if they call it health class anymore, but we had health. And in health, they taught us about um, the food pyramid (laughs) and how you should pay attention to what you eat, things that are good for you and the right combination of things. You are what you eat, they taught us. James K.A. Smith says, the title of his book is, You Are What You Love. It's a phenomenal book, by the way. Um. Did we use it for a class yet? We need to. I'm putting in my endorsement for James K.A. Smith's book. He begins with this question, sort of pondering this question. What if instead of the predominant way that we think about human nature is not so much as intellectual knowledge, which is how, at least in modern history and in the West, philosophically, we have understood what it means to be human. We are rational, intellectual beings. But he says, what if you begin in another place that human nature is first and foremost defined by how we love? There's a thought. What if human nature is defined first and foremost? In other words, who you are and the fact that you have value is determined not by how much you know, but by your capacity to give and to receive love. That changes the equation, doesn't it? And how we think about what it means to be human. Are you with me? I feel like I'm sliding into professor mode here a little bit, but you're going to hang in there. Yes? Um, Little uh, note here, Henry Nouwen. Some of you have heard of the works of Henry Nouwen. Uh, prestigious uh, author, scholar, speaker on Christian spirituality. 
left his position, lofty position, influential position to go and live at a home with severely disabled persons, mentally and physically disabled persons. And simply on this notion that we have value as human beings because we're created in the image of God, not merely on the basis of what we can know or do, but because we were created to love and be loved. And even the person who does not have the capacity physically or mentally to produce something is created in the image of God to love and to be loved. So that's, that's James K.A. Smith's uh, premise. What if we begin with understanding that who we are, human nature, is not on the basis primarily of what we know, but on the basis of what we love. And the primary function of our life then, and our worship, is to be oriented toward greater love. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Greater love for God, which is what's going on in the Shema, and greater love for each other. The people in the room, the person next to you, the person that you'll pass on the way home, the person that will check you out at the store, the person who will serve you lunch, the person who will show up at your house to service your air conditioning, thanks be to God, that you were created, our worship and our, our gathering in this space together as the people of God is to orient us to greater love for God, and for each other. And so Smith suggests that the function, that function is to shape our affections. That the end of what we do and who we are together as the family of God, the people of God, is to shape our religious affections. Now here's the thing. I grew up thinking that the end goal of what it means to be church was to think right. Anybody else? And I'm not discrediting right thinking. I, I think there's, a good, there's an important place for right thinking. But what if that right thinking is really in service to leading us into deeper love? Right? The right thinking isn't the end in and of itself. The right thinking is leading us into deeper love for God and deeper love for each other. You see? He goes on to talk about the liturgies, meaning the worship that shapes our affections. And he says, guess what? There are sacred and there are secular liturgies. Think about that for a second. Sacred and secular liturgies. In other words, I tend to think about worship as being what happens here when we orient ourselves toward God and God is in our midst, sacred liturgy, the prayers we pray, the scriptures we read, the songs that we sing, the gathering at the table, sacred worship orients us toward God to love God increasingly and to love each other increasingly. But, but what James K.A. Smith suggests is that there are competing liturgies out there that how our world and our life is ordered out there orients us in a different kind of way. Let me give you an example. When you and I gather, uh, by the way, I'm almost halfway through with this sermon. 
Just a fair warning. So I'll do this quickly. When you and I gather here, sacred liturgy, sacred worship, this is time we, we, we acknowledge it's holy ground, right? And we gather at the table of the Lord and we take bread and break it and we share a cup together. We are saying, we are giving thanks that God has shown us the way of life to be broken and given for the sake of the world. That's what Jesus did, to be poured out for the sake of the world. And we want to be people like Jesus, so we will be broken and given for the sake of the world. We are saying in that moment that our affections are being shaped so that we live and love like God first loved us. It's in the book, right? But the liturgies out there tell you something very different. They tell you that if you allow yourself to be broken and given for the sake of someone else, you're weak and unsuccessful. The liturgies out there tell you that if you pour yourself out, guess what? You better be careful because at the end of the day, you're going to be empty. That's what that liturgy tells you out there. But in here, we say something different. We say, no, that's actually the way to find life, right? That's the example. Jesus extends this when Jesus says, look, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, with your everything that you have, and he says, then do what with it? You love God like that, do what with it? Somebody tell me, love your neighbor as yourself. Look, I met Mike and Blanche years ago. Mike and Blanche Zuniga lived in an old trailer house, single wide, old, rusted, beaten down trailer house just across from James and Kay. James and Kay, when we got to know them, they were uh, this older couple in Buffalo Gap. And James and Kay, we said, uh, hey, um, James and Kay, tell us about who you are and what you do. And they said, well, we look in on this old couple across the street, Mike and Blanche. And we thought, you look after an old couple? You are the old couple. (laughs) Someone needs to look after you. And so James and Kay took us across the street to the old trailer house where Mike and Blanche Zuniga live. And they introduced us to Mike and Blanche. And we got to know them over time. It was a part of God's a sense of God's leading and mission. God was up to something and we were discovering new people and learning new things. God was teaching us some things on mission. And Roger and I, my friend Roger, one of the elders at the church and dear brother, and I got to know Mike and Blanche over time. We would stop by the trailer, we would knock on the door, and then there would be Blanche's shrill voice. It was this high, shrill voice with a deep Texas twang. She'd say, come in! And we'd come into the house and we'd sit groceries down, sit groceries down on the table, and then we'd sit with them for a time, and we got to know them. Mike was from Mexico. He was connected to a migrant worker community when he was very young. He was in his 90s at that point, and he had managed a group of migrant workers, and he told us about that. He loved to play baseball when he was young, and like every kid who grew up playing baseball, he had his bases loaded two outs in the bottom of the ninth story, and he loved to tell that story. We got to know each other just by spending time together in that little old trailer house. And I remember one occasion, Mike was laying in bed in the living room. They had put a bed in the living room because he was 92. He, he had suffered from diabetes. He was a double amputee, and he was not well at 92. 
And so they had a bed in the living room and, and nurses would come in and take care of him and he was laying there in bed. And um, I sat down on the edge of the bed next to him and we started to share stories. And he told me about how he loved to play music. He was a, a prolific musician. And he began to describe how when he was younger, he, he loved to play country, what he called country swing. Any of you know country swing? And I immediately recognized what he was describing because my grandfather, when he came back from World War II, was a musician as well. He played piano. He played piano in a country and western swing band that traveled all over the state of Texas, recorded a record in Austin on the Blue Bonnet record label, the old Blue Bonnet record label. Seen pictures of my grandfather seated at the piano with the band. The band was called Jesse James and the Canadian Aces. Jesse was the lead singer. And, um, and I have a framed uh, 45 on the Blue Bonnet record label, Jesse James and his band, and the song's called Billy's Tune. My grandfather's name was Billy Perret. I knew that I heard Mike say this. And so I said, Mike, do you remember back in the day a band traveled all over Texas called Jesse James and the Canadian Aces? And he perked right up. And I said, when I come back, I'll bring some music. And I did. I came back and I brought a little cassette player because I had a recording of my grandfather's music on uh, a cassette tape, and I popped it in, and I sat down next to Mike, and I said, Mike, I brought something for you, and I pushed play, and I began to play the music, and Mike closed his eyes, and he was tapping his finger on his leg like this, and as the music played a little longer, I watched him, a tear began to trickle down the side of his cheek, as if he was transported, and I'm telling you, I had this sense in the moment that our lives, his and mine, were joined together in the music. It wasn't long after that that Blanche says, hey, when you and Roger come back, can we have church? Well, we hadn't thought of it that way at all. We we had been coming to visit and getting to know them for some time. We hadn't thought of it that way at all, but we knew exactly what she meant, right? Roger found an old hymnal, you know, not just one from the church, but one that goes way back, and he brought it, and Blanche named hymns, old hymns, and we'd try and find the words in there, and we'd sing them together. Her favorite... Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. You know that song? She loved it. She made us sing it all the time. We sang that song. And others, she'd name a hymn, we'd sing it. And our lives were joined together in the music. And we brought communion, the bread and the cup. We set it there before them. And we prayed together in that room, Mike in the bed, the bread in the cup there on the coffee table. And we broke it and we shared it with each other. And I'm telling you, our lives were joined together at the table.
reflecting on this, sometime after that, Roger and I were sitting, and Roger said, you know, church can happen almost anywhere. Almost anywhere. The love of God can break out everywhere. Hear those things. Church can happen anywhere. The love of God can break out everywhere because we are conduits of that love. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Love each other. Not just the people you know intellectually. You can love the person and you don't even know their name. You don't know their story. The narrative in your head, because you pursue the love of God, is not, well, I wonder what them or It's instead, it doesn't matter. Church can happen anywhere. The love of God can break out everywhere. Dear friends, John writes in 1 John 4, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Dear friends, John writes, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The movement of God, the mission of God is propelled forward like this. We love God with everything that we've got. Everything that we've got. Which means we love each other with everything that we've got. If church is where anything, uh, if church is anywhere, it's the place where our hearts are being shaped like this, in deeper and deeper love. And if that's, and it's that love of God with our everything that we find breaking out everywhere. What if, last thought, what if this is what we come to understand as being the most central description of who we are as people created in the image of God, the most central description of what it means to be the people of God together? We love so deeply that the love of God is breaking out everywhere we go. You want to be on mission with God in Kerrville or Hunt or Ingram or wherever you live, Bernie in our case? Then we come together here, you know what? So that our attention is turned back here. Our focus, our gaze, our love for God grows deeper so that the love of God breaks out everywhere we go. Church can happen almost anywhere. We love so deeply that the love of God is breaking out everywhere we go. Shema, here, love the Lord your God with everything you got. Hey, we're going to gather around this table. This service is going to begin to come to a close. We're going to stand together at some point. And if God is calling and leading you to come to love Him in deeper ways, 
we want to invite you to share in this journey that we're on together to love the Lord your God with all our heart and soul and strength, to love the Lord, uh, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Let us pray, and then Raymond, and you'll come and lead us. God, stir us, stir in us a sense of passion for you. Shape the affections of our hearts by uh, your vision for the world, by your presence, by your spirit, over against those competing things that shape our hearts. We want to love you more. Stir us, draw us by your mercy to love you more so that we might love our neighbor, so that we might love each other, so that love, your love, might break out everywhere. It is the only hope for the world, God, that your love grows in us and breaks out everywhere your people go. So as we come to this moment and gather around this table, shape the affections of our hearts that we might love. We pray through Jesus. Amen.